Welcome to We Are Chafee Looking Upstream, a human-forward conversational podcast based in Chafee County, Colorado. I'm your host, Adam Williams. Today's guest is Beck Sarone, back for part two in our conversation. I can't say enough about how deep and powerful and important I think this conversation is. And I can't say enough for how vulnerable and real Beck is in sharing his story. Of all the meaningful topics we talk about on this podcast, I don't know if there are any more fundamentally human than what Beck brings to the microphone today. And of course, to his life and to our community every day. We talk about his identifying as transgender and queer. We talk about his experience with dysphoria as male in a female body and how that experience of himself tied to his use and abuse of drugs and alcohol and ultimately then how he would get clean and sober and come to express himself as male and transition into the full, confident humanness of himself. He shares about what it feels like to finally be able to look in a mirror and love and trust who he sees there. And we talk about allyship through the public use of our pronouns. They, them, she, her, he, him. This podcast, Looking Upstream, overall it's built on a foundation that relates to social determinants of health. Those are all the factors that influence our well-being, like our senses of stability and safety and just good health in daily life. Sometimes that's done overtly, like when we talk about housing affordability and health resources in our community. Oftentimes it's done more indirectly through the sharing of very human and personal stories, like Beck's. I hope you will take the time to listen to this whole conversation with Beck. Maybe you'll even feel compelled to share it with someone, or a bunch of someones. But at the least, I hope you'll feel a bit closer to your own humanity, a bit more confident and self-loving, feeling more connected to yourself and to others. Here it is, part two of my conversation with Beck Sarone. All right. So, Beck, we are back again. I appreciate your coming back in for part two of this conversation yeah. on Looking Upstream. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so, glad to be back. It's all, you know, we've had a chance to talk in the meantime, and it's I'm pretty excited about what we have to get into today. And the reason that we wanted to have a part two is because I'll remind listeners that on part one, we were really starting to peel back layers of the onion. We were really getting into... I think a meaningful, even powerful subject matter, and then we ran out of time. So again, thanks for making the effort and coming back in. I will remind you back what where it was we left off. Yeah. Okay, so we can just pick right up and go from there. We left off with you talking about uh, it was related to identity, mm. and you were saying that you had a newfound confidence and energy, and I think even a sense of freedom in who you are now. And, and you can take pride in yourself in a way that you feel like you had lacked, I think, for your whole life, maybe, leading up to, what, the last couple of years or so? So if we pick it up from there, just what has made the difference for you to feel that freedom and sense of confidence? I mean, yeah, I uh, recently got sober, um, you know, April 20th or so. Um, <laughs> kind of ironic would will be my fourth year of being sober and so yeah I think with that I was able to find a sense of clarity in my own mind and trust kind of my own thoughts you know 
Um, and that kind of led me to find the confidence to go forth and actually start uh, doing things to help me with my identity, like uh, going through hormone therapy, uh, replacement therapy. So, uh, And I think after that, on top of sobriety, that kind of added an additional confidence boost because now, again, I get to live in the body that I want to be in. Um, and now you don't have to take hormones to do that. But for me, in, in my path, that's what was required. And so I, I'm stoked for that. And um, yeah, that definitely has helped me. <laughs> so we're talking about uh, transgender identity. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's where we had left off in that conversation. And I want us to allow, if, if you don't mind, for some of the basic knowledge sharing here for any listeners who might not be accustomed with what some of these things are about. Okay. So it's just something to keep in mind as we go forward. So what would that hormone therapy, what did that do for you? Why was that a choice or a need for mm-hmm. you and your body? Um, I mean, and again, this is my own, my own path. So, you know, um, at first, I mean, I definitely was leaning towards um, being more androgynous and um, you know, I kind of was slowly coming out and having people refer to me as they, they, them with non-binary pronouns, um, if you will. And, you know, and, and somewhere deep, deep in my soul, I, I really just wanted to come out as male. And I just, again, I'm a people pleaser. And in the past, I felt like I had to kind of conform myself to what others probably felt more comfortable with. Um, but I, you know, this urge to come out and be my full self, you know, really was starting to get to me. So, yeah, I mean, taking the hormones really helped because within every step that the hormones had to offer, like even with my voice kind of, I like to say going back to what it, or going to what it's supposed to be. So for me, like a deep voice, um, you know, obtaining more um, facial hair and everything like that it has to offer, like those were all super um, affirming things that it had to offer. So um, I, think it's re- I think it's really important for me. I mean, just knowing I had it in my hands prior to even giving it to myself for the first time, I felt free. Like even then, I was really excited about it. Um, what was the burden prior to that? What was it that felt not free? Um, you know, just, it felt, and someone would argue this, um, otherwise, but I felt like it was unnatural. Like I felt unnatural in my body, like for years, you know, and I I think, um, I don't know if I mentioned this in the previous podcast, but if I had, if it were up to me, you know, like when, when I realized I was in the wrong body, I was five years old, you know, I remember this moment and I even know, I, I I recall where I was even standing and I just remember um, asking my mother, being like, why, why don't I have uh, male parts? Or why, why don't I look like that, you know? And my mother was really nice. And she was just like, you just don't, you know? And I'm like, and I, I remember being distraught, just completely upset. And, uh, and then it's kind of blank after that. But so that was like the first memory that I have of realizing that I was in this body, but you know, I had to make peace with that because I didn't know there were options. I mean, I was a kid. I didn't know anything about a lot of things. So, uh, so I, yeah, I carried on with my life. And, um, you know, and 
even later on as a teenager, I just assumed I, I just like, this was it. And, um, I was just like more tomboy or, you know, this or that. And, um, it that's, just, that's a term that gets applied a lot in that case, isn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you know, if you're like a female and you, you maybe you're trying to identify with more masculine, um, type things or clothing and stuff like that. Now I'm at a point where, um, especially with my kid, um, I try not to put a gender on clothing or colors or anything like that ever. But, you know, in the past, that's kind of what I was raised to believe. And so, um, you know, like I would hang out with my brother all the time instead of, you know, my sister and my little sister while they would play, like, because he had, like, video games and he had all the cool toys I always thought. And um, I just felt really comfortable hanging out with him in his room all the time. And uh, and I don't know. Again, that's like... Uh, a societal thing that we put on our kids and everyone around us that, you know, like masculine toys are like, you know, trucks and like, you know, NASCAR, little race cars and stuff like that. Like, uh, those, those are like boy toys, but they're not, they're for everyone. But yeah, so, um, there's a lot around that color situation too, because I have a particular memory with, uh, my older son at a playground but the toy he had was largely white, but there was a little bit of pink on it. Yeah. And a dad who was there with another toddler referred to my daughter. I'm like, well, he's my son. Oh, well, I saw the pink. Like, it's just a color, man. Right. <laughs> but we have that socialization for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I have had these conversations before. And what I think is probably actually a jaw dropper for many people who maybe have not had these conversations is that you were five and just, I think back to my childhood and we go, and I think most of us, all of us, we go through childhood taking what is put on us. Mm. That's by family, by society. We accept the things we're told because we trust that those are the answers, but you already felt something uh, inherently within you, even at that early age Mm. that, okay, this is what my mom is telling me, mm-hmm. of course, mm-hmm. right? I mean, no no <laughs> fault there. But I wonder then how you took those feelings, that distraught feeling, how did that conversation mm-hmm. over time continue with her? Like, I assume she just thought that was yeah, oh, a, yeah. an innocent, oh, my little girl is asking this question, mm-hmm. and then she just forgot about, you know, and went on. When did it really evolve to... Mm-hmm maybe coming out more with these thoughts and feelings of who you are with even just your family. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've put a lot of thought to that. Um, yeah. I mean, if my little girl came up to me and said, um, you know, I wish I had a, a, a boy body, you know, I'm trying to think of like childlike terms. Um, I would just, I would be, uh, I would explain, but you know, back in, you know, 95, (laughs) 96, there wasn't like a lot of terminology to implement towards your kids and saying like, well, you know, you're, you're kind of stuck with what you have. And, uh, but cause my mother would always let me wear her like button ups. I'd wear my brother's clothes. Like if anything, they were always super supportive of my style, you know, like I didn't know identity then, um, and so I'm grateful for that. Like, my parents have always been pretty supportive of that. Um, but I guess when I realized that it was like a physical thing, that I just realized that it, like, it came back probably during puberty. 
you know, I, I just kind of forgot about it. I just took it as, as it is, you know, um, and that's, that's how it is until about, yeah, so puberty is when I, like, realized the dysphoria of, like, realizing that I was uncomfortable with my body started to come in, you know. Um, I, I had wanted to ask you about yeah, dysphoria. yeah. If you're able to describe what that experience was for oh. you, obviously that is not necessarily what applies to everybody. Mm-mm. What is your experience as you remember oh. that feeling, if you can help us understand that? Yeah, I mean, I can try and elaborate the best that I can. Um, it's debilitating in all the ways, and it can create a lot of like problematic issues like um, within relationships, uh, friendships, even um, how you view other people. Um, and when you're not comfortable in your own body, um, you, you start to lash out in subtle and sometimes not so subtle ways. And you don't, like at first I didn't realize it. Um, and so, you know, like you should never do this, but like I remember taping my chest to see like if my, how flat my chest could get. I mean, for me, I I, I was lucky that I didn't have like a larger chest or anything like that, but um, you know, I would just look at other men and just be like, damn, like, you know, I like would look up to them and then sometimes I would resent them. And so it would cause some frustration. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, you know, all the things that I just felt like I shouldn't have had happen to me and my body are happening uh, without my control. And, uh, it's really unfortunate. Like, uh, it's a touchy subject too for, trans men to talk about um because it can bring back some of those memories but it um it was my experience you know and so like I had to like kind of force myself to take pride in my like you know womanhood in my my woman body you know <laughs> and uh, I hate saying that and <laughs> not to say that I'm, I don't take pride anymore I still do I just um yeah so um yeah I don't know okay yeah it's well, a, quite and, the experience <laughs> well thanks for sharing that yeah and- and for letting me know that that's also maybe a question, did, did I push a line there? Is mm. that something that we shouldn't go farther with? You know? Oh, not at all. No, I appreciate the questions. Honestly, I like to, if I can, I'll tell you anything. I like to overshare. Um, I like to talk a lot. <laughs> I, uh, it, it's, it's funny because like, I definitely take pride in trying to share my experience Um and to say that like the nerves aren't there would be a lie, but like that's that's a part of the experience that I want to share with people. Like it is an uncomfortable topic sometimes, and uh, and it's okay to kind of get nervous around these subjects, but uh, it kind of shows like it goes to show like you're not alone. Like if you are like listening to this and you feel that and you feel like you have to repress from that because of those like um, feelings that you're having, then yeah. Like, it's okay. (laughs) Sometimes I ask guests why they share their story. Why come sit here with me? Why are we talking about these important, big, vulnerable, scary, sensitive, whatever, you know, whatever it is you feel about the topic. So I'll just ask you that now. Why is it that it is important to you that we have this conversation and that we share it beyond this room, beyond just the two of us? I believe, you know, it is becoming a thing where you're hearing more people come out and express the differences between the binaries or, um, you know, the differences between um, self-expression. And, you know, I think 
it is becoming more of a thing. And maybe there was a little bit of that where I was noticing it and I felt confident to come out as well in so many different ways, you know, like with my identity and my sexuality and everything. So like everything's always changing and I feel like I'm like constantly coming out, if you will. But um, yeah, like it's important because you do feel alone when you, even though you feel like you might know there's a lot of people out there like you, the feeling of being alone is so strong still and you don't know why. And it's just because you just can't, you don't have that person to, you know, come out and see that or uh, reach out to, um, you know, it's interesting. I want to ask about when did you really recognize and come out because there's there's the story you just shared a little bit ago about when you were five and yeah and that you have that clear memory of first thoughts but when was it you know what's that evolution to a place where you feel at least confident enough in yourself to say you know what world this is who I am and you need to accept that I you know it's odd because I feel like I've had a little bit of that growing up like those moments <laughs> here and there I guess but I feel like right now because you know I'm living in the now I feel that now uh, more so than any other time in my life I guess and I don't know maybe it comes with maturity um, but I've been able to you know again sober up so I had that clarity to come out as trans and become who I am um, and I feel like with that you know on top of all the things like I've ever been through and came out as and experimented and experienced and all that stuff, I think right now I feel the most free because I am at this place now where I can express everything and not feel judged or like told how to do it or, you know, like like there are certain things that like kind of kept me from being at my freest moments, you know, like uh, for instance... You know, when I came out as a queer when I was a kid, I didn't know the term queer, and I wanted to come out easy, and so I said I was bisexual. <laughs> and of course, you know, my mother is awesome. She was like, "I th- I have a feeling you're gay, but okay." And I was like, you know, <laughs> at the time I was like, I was like, "No, like, no, I'm not," you know. And I was in denial, and she was so right. But <laughs> um, and so like even with that, like I didn't feel comfortable calling myself, you know, a lesbian or even gay, but. Um, because again, I you know I was stuck in a woman's body. I didn't really identify with being a lesbian, <laughs> and and so I felt like I had to be a certain amount of like queer or straight or you know into women a certain way, and you know I just felt like there was still something missing, I guess. And so I think up until now, now that I'm comfortable in the body that I am today, you know I. You know, I identify as queer, and for me, that's everything. You know, that's the full spectrum in my world. I feel like that term is the most freeing, not to say being lesbian or gay or bisexual or anything like that, any any other. Um, sure, we're only focusing right. on your stories individually right. today. Right. So, for me personally, that's the most freeing, um, as something else would be for someone else. So, yeah, and uh, and so now, like, I'm... Because I have that confidence, I'm able to express myself and 
you know, in the way that I even act, you know, like I felt like I had to act a certain way around certain genders or like, or a certain people, you know, and, and now I'm like really comfortable with being who I am. And, you know, I, I like to be outgoing. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I use, whereas I used to worry about oversharing or being over compliment, like complimenting people too much or like, or any of those odd things. Like now I just let it rip. And if people, if it don't sit right with someone else, hopefully they'll have the nerve to express that to me or set up a boundary. Uh, but yeah, like normally I just like to be super outgoing and I feel like now I can do that because I'm happy with where I'm at. You know something about the word queer. I I'm I'm I think by definition actually about a generation older than you. Okay. I'm I'm 46. I think you had said in the previous conversation you're 31. Yeah. <laughs> and when I was growing up, um, very young in the late 70s, so primarily the 80s, and then a teenager in the 90s, and the use of the word queer was derogatory. Mm-hmm. But what I've noticed over time, and I really appreciate, is that it's been taken back, I think. It's been reclaimed mm-hmm. and given this sort of power. And mm-hmm. you describe it as a sense of freedom. And I think what I'm hearing you say is that it's that freedom comes through being more of an all-encompassing word to use that allows you mm-hmm. to be all the many things that really any of us are. Yeah. <laughs> in in whatever ways in life. But when we put these labels that are too strict and, and restricting on us, yeah. it's so I think you're ready to say something there. I want to hear just no. about that word. And, and I don't know how familiar you are with personally, with mm. experience, with the evolution of that word. But uh-huh. I love that you take that and say, this is the one that feels best to me. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I've definitely been there for when queer was uh, derogatory, um, okay. used, used as a negative term. And, you know, honestly, um, I have been yelled at, you know, from cars driving by saying things that I won't mention. And uh, and I'm just like, yeah, that's what I am. <laughs> uh, cool, you know. And uh, um, it's wild. You know, I'd say middle school was the worst. Those kids can can get pretty creative with their <laughs> with their beat downs. But yeah, um, yeah, I I I dig that because you know I just I feel I feel sad. That kind of is it's bringing me to another thought actually. Like the fact that I'm queer now and able to express myself, and I feel this sense of freedom. I just feel like anyone should be able to do that, whether they're queer or not, or if they're if they identify um, as straight or gay or um, anything. So, um, I mean, I won't list them all off, of course, but, like, yeah, like, you know, there are pressures for all sorts of people to feel and act a certain way. Either their parents taught them to act that way or their peers, act tell you know, teach them to act like that, you know, act a certain way. And I just feel like people should be able to express themselves with vulnerability and kindness um, and honesty without being obviously like pressured into a certain way to act or even dress or anything like that, you know. Um, I I realize that no one's asking me to define myself, right? Like we're sitting here having this conversation. I'm aware of this, (laughs) but others, this is, this is with purpose. I hope people hear and with compassion and love and all the things and, I think, though, the world is asking you mm-hmm. to explain and define yourself and, well, what's this label? Right. 
but nobody has ever asked me that. Mm-hmm. And I'm a cisgender, heterosexual male who never had to think about it. Mm-hmm. Because again, growing up, especially in the time period I did in small town, rural Midwest America, I'm surrounded by conservative. I'm surrounded by there's only one way to be. We identify you as a boy. So Mm -hmm. I never had a chance to even think in those terms. Not that we do when we're really young anyway. But what I learned was who not to be because of all the pressures, the jokes, the religion, the TV show jokes, the Mm -hmm. politics, and what it means to be quote, normal or whatever word to be used there, right? So I remember actually thinking as a young child, things like, I hope I'm not that thing. I hope I'm not gay because, wow, the way everybody acts around that, that sure seems like I wouldn't be accepted. I wouldn't be loved. Uh, yeah. And nobody still, again, 46, never in my life has anybody asked me to define yeah. who I am they're already putting a whole story on me, mm-hmm. especially if I'm not walking down the street alone. I'm with my wife. I'm with my sons. Well, they know my whole story, right? Or they <laughs> think they do. And as a, as a male growing up in this society, I think there's not a lot of room to express that vulnerability you're saying, to mm-hmm. just be that gentle, soft sort of person who maybe is more than that narrow lane. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, yeah, I believe everybody can have the ability to be vulnerable and have a sense of unique style and how they want to, and, and, you know, be, you know, to be able to express how you want to treat other, treat others without being judged or even being called gay. If you're too nice to, you know, the, um, to anyone, you know, it's like, I don't know. I think it's unfortunate. Um, you know, when I first, um, started my hormone therapy like yes I felt really confident I felt really free but I think there because of that I was catching myself a lot like I was being too comfortable and outgoing with like say um you know another male or a masculine identifying person and I thought oh maybe they think I'm coming on to them too strong or or am I being too expressive because I just had this like newfound energy so I had this sense of uh you know, I wanted to keep talking to everybody. I wanted to be super outgoing with everyone. And I remember talking to my therapist about it and just expressing how I, um, I think everyone should have a therapist, by the way. Anyways, you can I had it. a therapy session earlier this morning. <laughs> there you go. Was, yeah. I, just, I just want to throw that I out I actually there. realized that was a bad idea before we come in here and get into a deep conversation <laughs> together because I wanted my energy for you. But go ahead. No, no. I, I <laughs> always felt uh, really like invigorated uh, after a therapy session. And I think even if you think you have nothing going on in your life and you feel like everything's smooth sailing, therapy's just great. But um, yeah, so I even expressed to my therapist about how I just felt like maybe my energy was too strong and I was like, I was starting to become like self-conscious again. And I was just like, you know, like I'm worried about all these things. And, um, and she held me down from that and gave me the confidence because it's really just knowing that other people have boundaries as, as well as you do mostly, um, of course, but knowing that other people have boundaries and if you are, you know, too much for someone, then hopefully they'll have the nerve again to express that and calm you down or get, you know, tell you that. So for me, that was freeing. Again, I, I kind of went back to being confident and, and again, just being myself. And it, you know, I can, you know, 
hug my friends a little bit longer you know I, I don't feel so weird to like hug other people you know and because at first I was nervous like well shit now I have facial hair like what if my my bros don't want to hug me like they used to and then I thought well then like were they ever my bros you know <laughs> like beforehand like um did you ever encounter any of those sort of moments where they flinch or like which really has to do with them of course right, right? because yeah. that has to do with how we as men interact yeah. with other men and what yeah. the socializing thing has been oh wait you can't get this close because what does that look like what is that signal does that send yeah did, did you ever encounter one of those moments with you know honestly a male I think it was all me you know in my head honestly um and I I I'm, like, kind of thinking of some situations where I thought maybe, like, they felt, like, all right, like, okay, like, like I'll give you, a, you know, an ass-out, one-arm hug. And then I realized <laughs> that's just them. Like, that's how they hug people. Like, me, I just, like, I really hug people. And uh, and I, I, I like when someone gives me a really good hug back, you know. Um, um, some of my other friends, you know, give me some pretty good hugs and it's like a competition who could hug the tightest you know and I love that but that's just me you know some people don't like that and uh, and again so at first maybe I took that as a oh they think I'm being too like you know gay or like you know and then I thought well I am queer <laughs> no I'm just kidding <laughs> no but like uh, and it's funny though like uh, I even asked my coworker, and I was like you know I just feel like my bros don't treat me like the way they or like I don't think they feel as comfortable around me now that you know I'm identifying super masculine you know and he was like well then were they ever your friends and I was just like oh shit yeah but in the end though he might have been right about that but in the end it was all in my head I think and I was just super hyper aware of offending someone or making them uncomfortable and then I realized oh shoot I'm, I'm like entrapping myself you know, uh, and so I had to get rid of that because it was something that was kind of on my mind. And, uh, I mean, obviously I talked to my therapist about it and I was tired of it. And so, yeah, now I'm free of that and I get to express myself any way that I want, you know. Um, I have some, I'm just kind of rambling, but like I have some uh, friends in Denver who are, um, also fellow trans men, uh, one of them being pretty close to me. He's like a brother to me. Um, he's great. Like he'll wear high heels and a dress to an event with his beard and he looks super good and it's super expressive in all the ways. And, and when I first met him, I thought he was very masculine. Um, and he kind of gave me that newfound confidence to express myself however which way that I want I mean my style in general is very like bro like I guess if that's a style but um um but like like what's femininity and masculinity you know like what's confident and not confident I guess and like um to express yourself fully like to me that's super confident um it is. Yeah. And, and, and to love yourself in all the forms, which can include the masculinity and wearing a dress and high heels, <laughs> if that's how you feel. Mm. But if we go way back early in the conversation, we're talking mm. about pink and blue. Yeah. And dresses mean girl and blue jeans with dirt on them mean boy playing, you know. And these these sorts of boxes that we've created societally that are very longstanding mm. haven't been questioned by the masses anyway. Mm. And so it's all really, I think, very easy shorthand, 
but how many people truly feel like, well, I, I'm not getting to express myself. I'm not truly, I mean, we do have plenty of ego issues and issues with security, insecurity, not being who we fully are. Mm-hmm. I think when people get to where they're uncomfortable, like you're saying, if you give a friend a hug and they're uncomfortable, it's like, well, that's because they have things going on with them. Mm-hmm. We're like, well, these are the rules we've learned. I'm not sure what to do at this moment, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. To be who you fully are, I think is, or ought to be the goal for every one of us. Mm-hmm. And most of us, almost all of us, I think, are so scared to go out with, I have a nice big beard. I don't know. Am I willing to go out in a dress in high heels and not feel like I'm going to be attacked in some form or other? Mm. That takes a lot of courage and, and self-confidence and self-love, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, it's gotten to the point where I'm in that train of thought so well that I forget that there is that societal, like, you know, idea that we have to act a certain way and so when i see it like let's say if i experience you know hate speech or if i see even a fellow someone that you would never see saying these things being transphobic or maybe they don't even realize they're being transphobic or you know if i witness anything of that nature out and about i'm almost taken back i'm like oh oh right there are people that think like that still oh sh- you know and uh <laughs> but yeah so i'm usually taken back um you know if i hear of uh maybe some of the teachers not seeing um eye to eye with some of the trans kids in the school system or they don't approve of calling them by their their name um because they feel like it's not up to them it wasn't their choice i'm taken back and i'm really upset about that um but that's that's unfortunate. I just feel like for me as a parent now, I feel like somewhere somewhere in their experience they they were taught to that that was normal to to live by the binary to to know that you know certain things were meant for certain genders, and it's unfortunate, you know, and so to them it's normal those and, those rules are unbendable to yeah. most of society. This is the way it is. This is what, quote, normal is. These are the rules. This, th- what, what else could there be? I think they struggle with abstract thought yeah. or thought that goes outside of what they've previously been taught. And then yeah. to realize, well, wait, what we were taught was created by humans, but largely men, right, in, throughout <laughs> history. And wait a second. I also am a human. Mm-hmm. And I'm in this time and this now. Can I rethink this? Can I find a different sense of that truth. I think Mm -hmm. most people seem not to be built to critically think Mm -hmm. through those moments and say, you know what? Yeah, this is the way we've always done it. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean it's the way we always have to do it. Right. I agree. Um, Again, I'm always taken back when I experience that, um, you know, where they're just so stuck in their ways in that thought process. And I think it's hateful. um, But I just... uh, I'm excited, though, because, again, I'm taken back because I'm now in this world where even from cis, hetero, identifying people, they're open-minded as well, and they totally are okay with, um, you know, befriending and seeing their friend who's either queer or trans, um, maybe just someone a little different than them, um, and treating them as an equal and being totally cool with it, and it's so refreshing, so... I mean, I live in a nice town where I see a lot of that, and 
and again, that's why I feel like I'm taken back when I experience the opposite. And I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> Dang, that still exists, you know? Like, and here I am just wanting to exist and um, move on with my day or my life. And as well as anyone else, you know, they just want to live and do things like go to the, the post office without, you know, being uh, at risk of getting stabbed or yelled at from a truck or something driving by, you know, it's, uh, right. yeah. You mentioned before pronouns and that you use he, they. Um, how about we talk about pronouns? Because mm-hmm. you and I have had this conversation before off the microphone a little bit. And I think it sounds like that's an important subject. Um, your thoughts there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What What is the significance of, of being vocal about that? And maybe also for those of us who, you know, I, I use he, him. Mm-hmm. What's the importance of me as an ally being vocal about that? Yeah, I mean, kind of stemming off from what we were just talking about with uh, being able to like exist freely and just be ourselves on a on a normal day to day life thing. So to normalize it is the ultimate goal, and to do that is to um to not overstrain it, but definitely m- make use of like putting your pronouns next to your name in a in an email or in on your cards, your business cards, or even asking someone what their pronouns are and uh, even doing it in front of other people, which I love to do personally. I don't know. Like <laughs> um you can do it on social media accounts now too, which yeah, is which yeah. is the one place actually that I have applied it, I think is on my Instagram account. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, I have had a little concern that well is that received well yeah. Is that received as allyship or is that seen as me being performative, you know, trying to show something else that might be read as hollow or false, you know? Is it truly something that is is of use? Uh, it is. Um and I and it is of allyship. Um when I see that, I get excited, you know. I'm I'm excited to know that that person is able to express that without feeling like they shouldn't have to. Um and and for me, it's so normalized in my world that if it's not there, <laughs> I kind of wonder. Even though, let's say this person um, has all of these feminine um, qualities, I guess, like maybe let's say like long hair, and I even hate to say it like this, but like with like long hair, you know, dress and all that stuff, I still, I still wonder. And so for me, it's uh, it's comforting. Uh, seeing that because I, I don't know, I won't know, and I won't assume um, because it's just not in my nature anymore to assume that. I wouldn't want them to do that for me, and so it's cool because, like, um, like I said, I personally like doing it in public. Um, but there's been a few occasions where I feel like maybe even someone came out to me because I asked them that. I gave them the opportunity in public to express how they wanted to be identified as and uh and um it made them feel safe then yeah like you immediately then make it known i'm paying attention to this i care yeah you can share with me yeah with but i'm sure it sounds like you're not even realizing that that's a a sort of coming out moment for them yeah um that impact that that that, sorry that's blowing my (laughs) mind right now the impact that you have in an instant 
by simply showing you care enough to ask that question to someone who has possibly never been asked. Mm-mm. And they're saying in a way, you might be the only person that ever hears that. Yeah. One, one person, um, you know, I have their name saved as like Cincinnati, you know, person from the bar. Cause I don't <laughs> I recall their name. Um, if you're hearing this, reach out. But, uh, yeah, I, so I was, uh, so I, you know, cause I work at, or I used to work at Woods. I, um, uh, this person was sitting there, uh, with their friend and, you know, and again, I can't assume, like I wanted to proceed talking with them and I, I you know, I'm not going to assume she, her, or he, him, or they, them with them. So I just wanted to know. And I just asked and, uh. Uh, they they were mind blown. They were like, "Well," and they're maybe a little bit older than I am, and they were just mind blown. They were like, "I I've never been asked that, you know. No one's ever asked me that before." And uh, and they're like, "You know, I really think they them is pretty pretty cool. I think I like that a lot." And uh, and I'd say this person, their style was super androgynous, and um, regardless, you know, I just felt the urge to ask. But um, and so I asked their partner, and uh, their partner was she her, and it was great because. You know, I really like to ask just because, again, I can't assume and I don't know. Um, and then I guess you're right. Like, I don't realize I'm doing that. And they're having this, like, whole moment. Um, I made it a point to ask um, another person in front of my um, my coworkers because I just had the sense I should ask. And I wanted to ask specifically in front of everyone else. And they said they, them. And, um, and because I just had a feeling maybe the people around them wouldn't have asked and would just assume. And so I just felt like at that moment, it was my, my duty to do so instead of just doing it like I normally do. (laughs) I made it a point, you know? Um, but yeah, um, you know, it's funny. I don't know how much I can elaborate on this, but I recently just applied for a passport and I felt the need to put M instead of so now you can put an x you know okay. uh, which is great you know it's um this huge thing you know we've come so far um and so now we have x as a as an um an option on our passports which which is wild you know i get it with the state id of colorado which mine is x on there as well um but when i applied for my passport i definitely stuck with m and not only because i definitely identify more with m but Somewhere, somewhere deep within, I had this sense of I wanted to be safe. Like where, whatever, wherever I go, like I don't know what countries okay. are going to be totally cool with it. Right. Um, so I felt kind of conformed to putting M on there. But whereas there's going to be someone who is truly just like not identifying with F or M, and need to put that X, and I'm glad they can do that. But it's sad that I even worry about it. It is. You know? It's sad that there is any component related to safety simply (laughs) for being who you are. Yeah. yeah. You know, who who any of us are. But then you walk around here on a regular basis, you know, around your daily life. And you said, and and, because I I really am happy for you for this, that you said, oh, yeah, I just got reminded that there are some people who don't see the world in this all-inclusive way. Yeah. And I'm glad that you're able to do that so much of the time. And at the same time, obviously, you're aware, like you just demonstrated, mm-hmm. oh, well, there are people in the world who simply because I'm me. Mm-hmm. I, well, I don't know what it is. Maybe you have thoughts on this. 
not only related to identity, we've already touched on some of this, all the ways that we feel confident in ourselves, doesn't matter who we are, how we identify, doesn't matter what we're talking about in the world. If you are confident, happy, walking down the street mm-hmm. without looking like prey to someone else's anger and issues, why is it that people attack confidence? Why is it that we attack people who feel good mm. being who they are? Do you have any thoughts on that? I just get sad. I mean, I just I just become really sad when that happens. Um, I feel like, you know, I don't know 100% why they do it, um, but I really feel like it was a taught thing. Maybe it's just where they're from. Maybe Maybe it's politics. Maybe it's what they were taught, what was right and what was wrong. Maybe they even had these feelings of wanting to express themselves a little differently, but, you know, got repressed for it immediately. Or maybe they were bullied. There's so many different things. You know, I've in my head in the past wondered, you know, it would just be so easy to just not be queer or trans, you know? Like, I'm at risk of probably probably getting stabbed. Wouldn't that be enough to make someone be like, oh, never mind, I don't want to do that. This is, like, how you know it's not a choice, um, you know? And so um, I kind of went off. That, like, took me off on this whole thing. But um, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. There's just so many different things that could cause someone to be like that. I think um, it's all the factors that you you mentioned there, and, and probably a ton more, <laughs> right? Probably, yeah. I think what it comes down to, though, is that it has far less to do with the person being attacked than the one who is trying to enforce or reinforce their concepts of what the rules are, or maybe the rules as they were applied to them. And like you said, they might have felt repressed in being who they are. And so if they can't be confident in who they are, again, regardless of what that is, that might just mean wearing the clothes you want to wear yeah. or <laughs> liking the, the music you want to like without feeling judged by whatever, you know, who, your coworkers or your family, whatever. Anything. It, we all need therapy. You see, you mentioned <laughs> therapy. We all need it. And that would help. I, th- I think nationwide, if we're going to invest some federal funds on something mm-hmm. of use, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe therapy needs to be somewhere up the list at, at this point. Yeah, that's been proven for sure. Finding so, where the funds are more useful. <laughs> so, um, okay, you talked about when we started this conversation because it was tying to the first, you know, part one of our, our conversation that you got sober. Mm. Um, you had had experience with addiction as well in your life. So we're saying sober, clean, mm. and there's correlation with identity mm-hmm. and because we had touched on that again at the end of that last conversation so I'd, I'd like for us to kind of segue through that um, and whatever you'd like to share there mm-hmm. what what was that connection do you think of using and abusing alcohol and drugs mm-hmm. to what extent do you feel like that was connected to identity and how you were feeling about yourself or how you were accepted or not in the mm-hmm. world and then ultimately being sober seeing yourself clearly, loving yourself, coming out and, and identifying as queer and trans. And I know that's a, that's a whole lot in that question. I, I hope I no, didn't lose you. Not at all. Um, I'm definitely seeing it. I, you know, in the just in the very end of all of that, you know, I'm able to, now that I get to be sober and express who I am and be who I am, I, I have this, like, ability to want to help people because... You know, whereas I did beforehand, I was always really good at giving advice and, you know, being a caretaker and 
wanting to help others. I just feel like now I just have a lot of uh, better advice. No, <laughs> but but like it, it's helpful to know that whatever advice you're giving others and helping them, you resonate with. Like, because anyone can just say, you know, um, you know, everything will be okay. But if you're not okay, how how can you put off that energy and make that genuine, that advice gen- genuine? You know, and so I think. Now I really, really want to help people because where I did have that urge before, I'm now helping myself and obtaining these tools that I just, I feel more confident in helping others with like a a more genuine attitude, I guess. Um, And just knowing that whatever I have to offer, and I've said this before, um, like a, a broken record, but like whatever I have to offer someone struggling, I know they can't go backwards from. You know, whether they stay where they're at or they move forward, that's the hope. Um, But I'm pretty confident in that. And um, I'm trying not to doubt that, you know, where in the past I would doubt that. Like, am I really helping this person? Like, what if what what if I what I say is not good or this and that? Like, there's a lot of what ifs. And now it's like I know it's going to be okay. Uh, You know, in that I'm confident in (laughs) I think so much comes from the lived experience. And when we have spent time reflecting on that, digging into it, trying to understand it, find its place in our lives and grow from it. But you have a lot to offer people in that way. More so, I think, than if it was just a textbook thing. Well, I've read this book on Mm. this once. Let me fix you. Well, you know, that doesn't go as far as, okay, I have empathy Mm. because I've been there. I know what you're feeling. I get it. And I'm going to be a good listener for this. I'm not going to try to give you the answers. I know how to help you walk with what you're experiencing. You know, that that's a night and day difference, I think, what you have to offer. And, and what we are talking about here is that you actually are making a career shift. You had mentioned Woods earlier. You were a distiller mm-hmm. for around a 10-year career as a distiller of whiskey and gin and, and so on. And you now are transitioning in a career you know, change to helping people professionally yeah. Who are recovering from addiction to drugs, alcohol, and whatnot? Do you want to maybe elaborate yeah, on yeah. some of that? It's it's ironic, I guess. Uh, someone someone would say, you know, um, <laughs> uh, I I I always thought it was kind of funny, um, you know, before I realized that I could make uh, helping people kind of like a career. I just did so, of course, um, as a friend, um, as a person, but uh, you know, I. I was still distilling at the time, and people would be like, well, that's odd that you're a sober distiller. And so that kind of like became a popular thing in my world, you know, the sober distiller, and people found it ironic, and it was funny. Um, well, and you had a mocktail bartending business, too, we should yeah. mention, right? Yes. So, <laughs> you know, include that in there, because what I learned recently from you is that these things are very connected. That yeah. you, you would give out your phone number on the back of those business cards <laughs> for your mocktail bartending business, so that people, even total strangers, right, could mm-hmm. reach out to you when they had questions around yeah. recovery or, you know, whatever they needed to reach out and have that connection with you for. Yeah. Um, you know, it for me, when I put my phone number on that card, it wasn't to get more events. 
because my time even was kind of constricted, you know, it was all depending. It was more so, so people could call me. Yeah. And, you know, if they ever, and I would just say, you know, reach out to that number. And even if you just want to chat for five minutes, and that's kind of like my thing that I say at my pop-up events. And, and sure enough, multiple people have called me, uh, a few people. And uh, of course I won't mention names or anything, but, you know, like say they were, having a, a moment and they just needed five minutes um I can remember one person I just like went for a walk around the park and I just spoke to him about um maybe not picking up that whiskey bottle and hopefully not going in too deep um or even just talking to somebody that might have been already using and just needed someone to talk to and I've been there you know I've been in that position and uh and all I can say is you know hey just as a from a non-professional standpoint, I totally understand where, where you're coming from. You know, this is what I did. Um, and, you know, and or sometimes they'll just talk to me and they'll talk about random things. And uh, and it's just nice knowing that um, I did that for them. And, you know, at first uh, I was a little nervous, but then I realized I'm just talking to someone as if, you know, when I needed someone to talk to, that's all I ever needed as well. You know, just someone to answer and just be willing to just listen. Uh, that goes a long way, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, I kind of initially before starting the mocktail pop-up bar, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in recovery and I'm utilizing tools to help me stay sober and clear headed. And I feel like at the time I needed kind of like something to hold me accountable. And not only did I feel like Salida kind of lacked the term sober in general, Besides, like AA or NA, um, you know, and that this could have been in my own perception as a distiller and working downtown for so many years. Um, I just felt like Salida was highly libated in the alcohol scene, <laughs> and so I felt like, well, shit, if anyone's gonna um, start a a non-alcoholic thing, then I guess I'll I'll have to be the one to do it, and I, you know, and so I did it. Uh, not thinking it would, um, not much would come from it, but even just having the term sober, you know, bar out there, people reached out, they were grateful for it, um, you know, and so it's starting to gain some momentum, which I'm grateful for, you know, even just sharing like syrup with some of the coffee shops so they can make their drinks um, and just to promote it, like, you can get this <laughs> sober syrup. No, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> anyways, here at this location, you know, like it just gives people a sense of um, um, community, like they're not alone, you know, and it is something we're seeing coming up. The sober scene is coming out and all that. But uh, yeah, no, it's really nice because I'm using it as a tool for my sobriety. So, you know, me helping others is like helping me, you know. I, I look at the podcast we're doing here, this looking upstream as a similar tool for me, as a way to connect with people, as a way to practice. It's sort of an aspirational thing for me to act in ways that are the compassionate listener that I want to be, the one who engages with humanity in the way that I want it to be, because I don't walk around every day feeling that way about everything I see and hear, right? So I I think it's a very positive step and a practice really in life, a life practice yeah. that, that you're taking these steps um, in your own recovery and, and, it, and to help others mm-hmm. doing that. Yeah. I want to wrap up with, with this question. I hope it's not too big of a question because, mm-hmm. of course, again, we could just keep talking <laughs> here. But I wonder who you see in the mirror now. So far, going through all these steps and this evolution of, of who you are and coming to this place that is sober and where you love yourself, mm-hmm. 
and and you mentioned being more clear minded. Mm-hmm. Who do you see when you look in the mirror? What do um, you feel? You know, I we all have imperfections, of course. Um, we're just these malleable little, you know, humans that are speckles of dust in our galaxy, you know. And so, I mean, I've come a long way as a person myself, um, and I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know where I'll be in my journey, um, who will be around me. Um, I just, when I look in the mirror, I just know I, I, I trust the person that's in front of me now. Um, because in the past I didn't and I don't know why, but I just didn't. And now I do. And so where I would get really, really anxious of the future and the possibilities of all these things, um, maybe even being dissatisfied with how I looked, I don't feel that anymore. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I can actually goof off and say that I look pretty good some days. <laughs> and uh, and that's all that matters, you know? Like, you don't have to... There's no certain way to look good. I, I really think confidence is um, what makes you look good. I don't know. Like, it's hard to explain. We I, all need that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, think, I think that's fantastic. And to look in the mirror and... <laughs> Man, I I love how you put that. To, to trust that person and where you're going with whatever's ahead. Yeah. Beck, I, I really love that we got a chance to sit down for a second conversation. Thank you for sharing about all of this. Um, yeah, I mean, you're you're a tremendous person. I'm so glad to, to do this. Oh, well, right back at you. Uh, I can't think of anybody else that could hold a podcast like this uh, other than you. So, um, yeah, you're inspirational for sure. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. All right, that was my second of two conversations with Beck Cerrone. If what they shared here today resonated with you, you can email comments to Lisa Martin, one of our producers at lmartin at chafeecounty.org. We invite you to rate and review the We Are Chafee Looking Upstream podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you use with that functionality. We also invite you to share the Looking Upstream podcast with others on your social media pages and by word of mouth. Help us to grow the good. Be part of the light the world needs. Once again, I'm your host, Adam Williams. John Prey is engineer and producer. Thank you to KN Radio, where we recorded today's conversation in Salida, Colorado. Heather Gorby for graphic and web design. Lisa Martin, producer and community advocacy coordinator for the We Are Chafee Storytelling Initiative. Andrea Carlstrom, director of Chafee County Public Health and Environment. And Becky Gray, director of the Chafee Housing Authority. The We Are Chafee Looking Upstream podcast is a collaboration with the Chafee County Departments of Public Health and Housing and is supported by the Colorado Public Health and Environment Office of Health Disparities. You can learn more about the Looking Upstream podcast and related storytelling initiatives at wearechafee.org and on Instagram and Facebook at wearechafee. Lastly, thank you for listening. And until next time, as we say at We Are Chafee, be human, share stories.